Coming up on this episode of Belief Hole. Is our waking world just a shadow? Simply the surface on the skin of reality? What are these transient lands between wakefulness and the deep dark of sleep? When we put out the light and slip away, are we in reality glimpsing hidden frontiers that actually exist. When sleep paralysis grips the body, we are plunged into the waters of a strange borderland. Is this the precipice of an interdimensional realm where astral monstrosities are suddenly made visible? In hypnagogic states, can we perceive precognitive visions or even converse? with the dead. From encounters with sentient dreamwalkers who leave burning reminders of their reality, to confounding cases of sleepwalk murder. On this episode of Belief Hole, we explore the landscapes of slumber and the dream dimensions that may be just as real as this realm of the waking. Synchronicity, Sasquatch, Homunculus, Alien Races, Satanism in Hollywood, MK Ultra, Tartaria. There's like a whole. I've been watching this one guy. Close like, the door, in. Jury, close your door. What's the uh, inner earth disagreements? Ghost Dad. <laughs> I like that movie. Dogman, Bohemian Grove, Magicians are demons, Specters, Spirit summonings, Strange disappearances, Sky Whale phenomena, yes. Alternative history, Shadow people. Shh, quiet, I'm trying to say words with the mouth. It's getting dicey out there. Poltergeists. That's cool. And Naki. What is the moon? <laughs> Elf towers. I would never talk about it. That's old. Y2K. Cover ups. Apocalyptic catastrophe. Vampire. Well, hello, hello, gentlemen. Well, hello, hello. Hello, hello to you, sir. Welcome to be here. Yes, yes. Welcome to the last show ever. What? We've decided to quit. Surprise. I didn't know about this. Yeah, we thought we'd wait to tell you on the show. (laughs) Fans wanted the genuine reaction. You know what, John? That sounds like a real nightmare. Which is what we're talking about today. How appropriate. We're talking about nightmares and dreams of all sorts. That's right. Yes. And not just dreams and nightmares, but also the layers of reality that we exist in as thinking human beings and sometimes unthinking or um, unconscious human beings and how these layers work together and how we experience these layers. And can we peer through that subliminal veil and see the possible reality of some of these dream worlds that we inhabit when we go to bed. Who was it that told me that a lot of people are having like really weird dreams lately? Oh yeah, we were talking about that in our last premiere in the live chat on YouTube, which you guys can check out if you haven't done it yet. It's a lot of fun. A lot of people were reporting towards the end of the episode. I think maybe we talked about dreaming and sleep paralysis and things like that. And people were just saying how many insane dreams they've been having lately. Just very intense yeah. Realistic. The kind you wake up and you're not sure what's real, what's not. Every night with me, every night I just feel like I go to these places and just meet all these people. It's just so strange. That's so funny that you say that. 
Maybe you are, John. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about towards the end of the episode when we get into lucid dreaming and the discovery of true realities in sleep and people that you meet that A, either might be conscious beings that are living in this dream reality or the possibility that you are, in fact, visiting parallel realities of our own sort of reality. This is the dream. You come into the body and you are, because this isn't the real reality. It's only a temporary experience. Oh, yeah. You're talking about life in general, right? Just the physical life. Short, you know, 60 to 80 year. Corporeal experience. Yeah. Was it Shakespeare, a dream within a dream? Was that Shakespeare? Oh, wait, no, that was Edgar Allan Poe. That's right. Yeah. Shakespeare was, uh, life is a stage and we are merely players. Something like that. Yeah. Yes. When Shakespeare wrote Inception. It's one of my favorite Shakespeare <laughs> films. <laughs> He's like, Leonardo DiCaprio shall star in my... I loved his work in my Romeo and Juliet with Claire Danes. <laughs> That's right. Oh, there's a theme there. I didn't catch that before. But so we're going to get into that today. I'm really excited to talk about this. This is something that, we, that we've talked about a lot throughout our lives, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. Excited to get into like a deep dive on it. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk a little bit about the hypnagogic and the hypnopompic states which is kind of the same thing as hypnagogic, but it's when you are waking up from a sleep as opposed to falling into one. Yeah, I did not know there was a difference until Uncle Slommer wrote in, <laughs> synchronistically wrote in with a crazy sleep paralysis kind of dreamscape story that just happened to come in right before doing this episode. And he referenced the, what is it, what is it again, Chris? The hyp- Hypno- hypnopompic. So what does that one mean? So hypnagogic is when you are falling asleep and hypnopompic is when you're waking up from that space. Oh, weird. Yeah, we've talked about in the past, like when you're falling asleep, there's, sometimes you can see faces and yeah. visions yeah. within that hypnagogic yeah. state. That's upon sleeping. God, I'm just having all sorts of weird thoughts and remembrances, <laughs> remembrances. of my nightly journeys. You know, that we've talked about on the show before, we've all experienced that faces phenomenon in the hypnagogic experience. When you see these faces kind of undulating, turning from something hideous to something good, or these faces that seem 100% like real faces with real personality, but ones that you've never seen in your waking life. Very detailed. Yeah. Right. That's the key is that you've never seen them. Like they're approaching you in the further. That's what it feels like to me is like you in the darkness of wherever that world is between complete REM or sleep and waking life. It feels like that infinite further. And in you see like in the insidious movies where it's just this foggy kind of veil. And then these faces illuminate. And usually for me, it's like in red, kind of red shades and outlines, the faces for some yeah. reason. We're going to talk about that as well. We're going to talk about, is it possible that the dream space or the in-between states of sleep and waking, is that a common ground where you can maybe not only meet creatures from other realms, people from other realities, but also the dead and have conversation. We're going to talk about that too. So it's going to be a really interesting episode. I dream of, uh, I think I've told you guys, well, keep going. We, we don't need to talk talk to me anymore. <laughs> I like talking to you. I just think about Chad guy uh, that I used to be good friends with. Yeah. He died many years ago at this point, but I dream about him like probably 10 to 15 times a month. Wow. Really? Now, that much? A lot. He's always in my dreams. Do you ever feel like it's more than a dream? Yeah. A lot of the time. Sometimes not, but sometimes yes. Yeah. And there is a difference there. I feel like. I think I had one last night. Really? Yeah. Is he like, John, you're going to kick ass on this episode tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> yes! <laughs> I mean, some of the earlier ones that I used to have of him were definitely dark because he, he definitely had kind of a... He had some demons. Yeah, I mean, I won't get into that, but there was... And we also had like a falling out before it happened. So there was definitely some unhealed kind of trauma there. Oh, yeah. But then there was a point where I, I like hugged him 
like this was years ago where like we made up in the dream and it felt so real. It felt like we had really made up mm-hmm. in the dream and then the dreams got better over time. That's interesting. It's interesting because it makes me think of like a progression with someone in a dream. Yeah. Like a progression moving forward. That's kind of cool. Crazy. Like you're not stuck in the, in the cycle. Yeah. The closure you can find in dreams. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And what are dreams? That's the eternal question. Are they real to some extent? I guess that's what I'm excited to talk about. I think it's a mix. It's a mix. And we're going to talk about all that stuff. At the very end, I want to do a a really interesting story about a sleep murder that took place. So we're going to, we're going to tie up the episode with that, but there's so much in between that I'm so excited to get into. And we will be helped by this incredible book, Nightmare Land, Travels at the Borders of Sleep, Dreams, and Wakefulness. This is by Lex Lonehoodnover, who some of you might be familiar with. He was, I don't know if he still is, the producer on Coast to Coast AM, but really a brilliant book. Really well written. Yeah, super talented writer, excellent descriptions, and just very engaging when you're reading his work. It just You just kind of get pulled in. Very fully developed research, too. Oh, yeah. There's so much notation going on in it, too. So at the end, you can look up all the references for yourself. Just so super recommended. So we're going to use his book as sort of a guidepost. So before you break in all those different fascinating aspects to this, I just want to mention looking through that book and some of the stuff you were telling me, it was pretty incredible. I did not expect it to go into so many things. Yeah. I was thinking, yeah, sleep paralysis, dreamscapes and dream worlds, the nature of dreams, astral projection, all that stuff makes sense. But then even going deeper into like, I think towards the end, he gets into questions about rulers of our reality. Oh, yeah. Like reptilian, uh, I don't know if that was more subconscious or if there was, he was talking about a grander scheme of control about those in charge, a little conspiracy angle at the end. Both. Yeah. It gets super wild. But it was, it was synchronistic because of the book, John, we might be covering that you wanted to cover uh, in an upcoming episode here. Oh, Gods of Eden. Yeah, Gods of Eden. So just really fascinating kind of synchronicity there. Yeah, and that, and I guess I will say, before we get into it, I'll just say, because this concept is so fascinating, and there's so many tentacles that weave themselves through this whole universe of concepts. In the expansion, we're going to be diving further into the land of Nod, and we're going to be looking at microsleep, the black dog phenomena that we've talked about before in relationship to, you know, dogman graveyard guardians. But what about the black dog that you see when you're driving late at night that's reported by thousands of people all over the world? Oh, right. Is there a connection between this sleep deprivation phenomena and a real entity that might exist in this in-between realm? We'll also talk about astral attacks by other dreamers and practitioners of magic and the alien connection that you mentioned, Jeremy, really just goes everywhere with this abduction phenomena in dreamscapes and Catboy. Catboy. Which I will let you wonder what that is until you listen to the expansion. Yeah, that's a great story. Yeah, it sounds like a great episode to sign up to the expansion for. If you haven't yet. Oh, absolutely. It sounds like it's going to be fascinating. Yes. Did you mention, Chris, the, uh, what I found most fascinating when you first started talking about this is the, the possibility of the poltergeist connection. We'll get to that. Okay. Okay, so let's get into it. Let's waste no more time. So the concept that I really wanted to break into, one of them anyway, is, you know, what is the dream state itself? Is it just our personal landscape of the subconscious or a very real frontier that we unknowingly explore when we drift off into sleep, only to leave behind our discoveries when the alarm clock goes off? Mm -hmm. So we'll be getting into that as well. I want to start with an introduction from the author himself, Nover, and just a quick summary of what he will take the reader through and what we will also be endeavoring together today. So this comes from his book, Nightmareland. The mind is a curious cocktail. Though our consciousness is cordoned off into three basic states, deep sleep, REM, which is rapid eye movement, and waking, these locations have porous borders, inviting bleed-throughs and mixtures, 
odd chimeras of experience during or adjacent to sleep, and dreams hint at a wider and hidden aspect of ourselves and the strange territory we may traverse. From the savage and frightening to the astounding and sublime. I'll introduce you to a slippery borderland where phantom images, faces, and phosphines float unbidden through the mind's eye. In the hypnagogic state, tenuously perched between waking and sleep, a person may have heightened sensitivities to psychic ability and mediumistic communications with spirits and the dead. Where synesthetic glimpses defy translation, Shamans enter this liminal realm like a gateway or a portal. Some contend that behind the curtain of sleep and dreams, it's open season for attacks and interference by a grab bag of ghosts, poltergeists, and astral entities. Thank you for letting me be your GPS as we wind our way through the darkly illuminating labyrinth I call Nightmare Land, where the borderline is the destination. Lex Lonehood Nover, 2018. That sounds fascinating. And we're also going to be talking about lucid dreams, parallel realities, premonitions, all sorts of fascinating phenomena related to the dream state. I like the concept of, I think that I find fascinating is the connection of dreamers crossing dreams. Yeah. Sharing a dream space. Yeah. Right. We'll get into that. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked about sleep paralysis on the show many times, so I don't want to spend too much time going over it, but I think it's important to talk about it in relationship to everything else we're talking about today. And I think it's interesting when you realize that researchers discovered REM only 60 years ago. The science of sleep is pretty new. That's crazy. So it's only been 60 years since we knew what the cycle that correlates to dreaming was. Sleep paralysis itself was, um, I mean, even though that's been known forever, you know, through antiquity, it's always been associated with the supernatural, but people thought you were insane if you experienced it. Right. The nightmare. Right. Exactly. The nightmare, the noctmar. It's only recently been legitimized by the scientific community. So it's important to keep that in mind, I think. It's also important because 40% of the population will experience it at some point, being paralyzed. Yeah. Becoming paralyzed in your sleep. I just did. Yeah, Jeremy, you had your first one. First time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had it a couple of times. John, have you had it yet? Not recently. So if you haven't yet had it, there's a good chance you will, because 40% of the population has or will at some point in their life. Like chicken pox. Yes, <laughs> just like chicken pox. Here are some aspects of sleep paralysis that you're probably aware of. If not, I will summarize them very quickly for you. And this is interesting specifically to you, John, because you've talked about this many times in your nightmare situations. But people that have sleep paralysis, almost all of them report that when they have this moment of being paralyzed in sleep, they're in a supine position, which is on their back, stomach up. Yeah, right. Definitely. So I think that's fascinating, John, because you always have that issue when you have um, your really dark attacks. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a correlation there. Same with out-of-body experiences. I always, I have the most intense dreams too, period, when I'm... Yeah. It's so weird. It happens every night, every single night. Now, I haven't had nightmares lately that way, but I will wake up, like I purposely sleep on my side and I wake up a lot at night, mm-hmm. probably like three or four or five times. And every time I wake up on my back, I'm like, how am I getting on my back? <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that. It's so weird. You know, because I think your body naturally wants to transition to your back when you get into the REM state. Maybe. I think it's because your soul's escaping. Well, it's interesting. There is a a technique, John. I'm (laughs) free. It's right through the solar plexus. John, there's a technique you can use to keep yourself on your side. I don't know if you've heard about this. Restraints? Duct tape? It's called the sleep ball or tennis ball technique. 
this was developed actually as a remedy for sleep apnea, but you take a tennis ball and you tuck it into a pocket that's sewn into the back of your pajamas or in a sock pinned to the back of your shirt. <laughs> like the princess and the pea deterrent. You're right. It acts as a, a deterrent to keep you from sleeping on your back. Right. Because while you're asleep, you'll naturally avoid that and lay on your side. Right. Hmm. Very clever. So there's an option for you, John. If you really don't want to get on your back and be attacked by astral entities, uh, just put a tennis ball in your underwear. It hasn't been as bad lately. Well, that's good. Yeah, I do think there's something to that. We've talked about that before. People have written in saying that that's when they experience it too. And it does, Yeah. in the more paranormal mindset, it seems like that would make sense. Obviously, the painting of the nightmare, the Nakamar, the thing sitting on your chest and compressing you. That feeling of like, are you most exposed when you're on your back? Right. You know, you're not, you're not protecting that center solar plexus, the seat of the soul, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. So that as well as some other usual suspects or experiences in the sleep paralysis situation, of course, like you said, the feeling of pressure on your chest, the sense of a presence in your room accompanied by an overwhelming fear. You know, these are the typical experiences people have during sleep paralysis, sometimes buzzing, tingling, nonsensical language, all aspects that relate to this experience. And there are a variety of entities. Nover says, during an SP experience, the sensed apparition or hallucination can evolve from a shadowy form to an actual entity, at first from a distance. Quote, bad odors are frequently reported, which is striking as most dreams do not include the sense impression, remarks dream researcher Ryan Hurd, who adds that the intruder's appearance is unique for each person, and accounts have included, quote, demons, hairy monsters, disfigured people, hooded figures, and gleaming red or yellow eyes. The devil, witches, hags, and aliens. If the SP victim is not able to end the paralysis, the entity may actually initiate physical contact, sitting on the person's chest or choking them, as well as making sexual advances. That's, of course, where we get the succubus and the incubus from, which is where we're going to start with our first short little tale. This is in relationship to a succubus encounter, to kind of give you an idea if you've not heard one before. John, will you go ahead? Research professor and pharmacologist Ronald K. Siegel experienced an SP episode in which a gelatinous succubus climbed into his bed and straddled him. Whispering in what sounded like backward spoken English from a mouth that stunk of tobacco. The intruder's hand felt cold and dead, but she had him in a tight grip, squeezing him, quote, like a soda straw. In a suffocating mix of sexual intoxication and terror, Siegel hypothesizes that hyperventilating during sleep paralysis reduces the brain's supply of oxygen, and this may contribute to the hallucinations as well as triggering a sexual response, not unlike the practice of autoerotic asphyxiation. It's bad enough to have a succubus, but for her to be too gelatinous is extra unfortunate, I feel like. And of course, that is a way to explain it. Some of the aspects of what the terror that person is feeling through, the physical things that are going on as far as like the, you know, the not being able to get enough breath because of what's happening biologically to your body. But what's interesting is this next account, which definitely to me is something that is compelling because it alludes to an unexpected presence in the room, not something that's attacking you, right? but something that isn't expecting you to suddenly become aware in its realm. Yeah, this is a really interesting story here. Yeah, John, will you continue? In his book, Dark Intrusions, paranormal researcher Louis Proud, who frequently experiences sleep paralysis, describes a hideous being that seemed surprised to encounter him, as though it were seeing a human for the first time. Quote, With its large wrinkly head and glassy black eyes, 
the entity resembled some sort of troll. Still paralyzed, I lay there studying it for a moment. The entity looked startled, embarrassed even, for it must have assumed I was sound asleep. Then Proud continued. It rose up in the air and in a manner of seconds began to shrink as though it were being sucked down a tube. Hmm. That's interesting. <laughs> it's like that visual of, of it not expecting to be seen and he's like, oh, you know, and slinks away into a, some weird astral tube. Yeah. Like you weren't supposed to see me. Yeah, I just, I always find those accounts kind of interesting when it seems like something that isn't there to terrify you or at least isn't expecting you to be aware of it, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Super interesting. I think that always lends some credibility. Or you, or like, you know, if it was a UFO that had landed and aliens were just hanging out, taking like a pee break or something in the grass doing <laughs> their break. own thing and you approach them and they're like startled and they, they get on the ship and fly away quickly. Like you're not supposed to see that. Exactly. Those are the telling moments, I think, of their reality. Almost definitely. And just real quickly, as we move through the sleep paralysis discussion, I just wanted to mention a, a few quick ones throughout the world and, and throughout time that you may or may not have heard of. We have Newfoundland, the old hag. Yeah. Which is interesting because haggard, that word, you know, you wake up haggard the next day, that comes from that concept. Oh, really? That makes sense. Or at least they think it might actually come from that. Because it keeps you awake. You're, you're hag-ridden, John. You've been hag-ridden in the night. So you wake up and you look awful. Because mm-hmm. he had such a harrowing experience. On the island nation of St. Lucia, you have the Kokoma, which is a similar experience, but they believe it's a spirit of a dead baby that's, you know, haunting you for some reason. In that region, that's what they go to. Hmm. Far north Arctic regions, native people speak of Agumanagya and Ukamarik, in which the paralyzed person feels a soul trying to take possession of the body. That's interesting. And this is something you hear a lot too in out-of-body experiences, which there's an overlap there. Yeah. That makes sense when you're out of the body that a soul might want to use that as a little vehicle. Right, because you're, you're open, right? Among the Inuit, the experience is closely linked to the spirit world and, quote, the frightening manifestation of shapeless or a faceless presence. Well, that sounds like all of these experiences with sleep paralysis and, um, you know, Hatman, we've covered things like that before. So like most people, you'll have an experience of sleep paralysis a couple times in your life. I've only had it three times. Some people never have it, but there are a small group of people that have it regularly. You know, we, we covered Robert Monroe before, and that was what he was having that led up to his out-of-body experience was uncontrollable, regular episodes of sleep paralysis. So in relation to that, I wanted to quote quickly from the book again. Nover compares this experience, comparing SP states to the kinds of OBEs that Robert Monroe has documented, Proud writes about how in some cases of SP, there is a kind of partial dislocation of the astral body from the physical body, and a dual awareness that can take place. Quote, Assuming that the astral body leaves the physical body every time we fall asleep, it would not be unreasonable to state that the only difference between an SP sufferer and a non-SP sufferer is that the former has some awareness of the astral experiences, these interactions with non-physical beings, and is able to remember them in the morning, while the later has none. And we've talked about that before, the idea that is everybody experiencing this? When they go to sleep, when they dream, are they all leaving their body? We just are unaware of it until, you know, someone has a, a sleep paralysis episode where something goes wrong in that moment of transition. Then you can remember it longer. Is that the idea? Yeah, or remember it at all. Right. So SP is short for sleep paralysis. Right. I don't know if we clarified that. So that's comparing an out-of-body astral projection with a sleep paralysis experience. Right. I think that's an interesting idea that is everybody doing this at night. Right. 
And you just don't know. When we dream, are we all interacting with something real or leaving our bodies in a sense? Yeah, I think so. And just a quick quote, Jeremy, I want you to read this real quickly because I thought it illustrated this idea well. This comes from the psychologist Jorge Canessa Sevilla, and he wrote a book called Wrestling with Ghosts. Go ahead. I have wrestled with several hairy beings in my own bedroom for nights at a time, been visited by many hags and beauties, been whispered to, shouted at, buzzed, electrified, boomed, and hurt, been touched, pinched, and caressed by phantoms unseen, cried empty screams without anyone hearing them, been assisted by friendly entities who taught me how to move from the paralysis into lucid dreams. There's the friendly ones. Meditated in lucid dreams, attaining sublime bliss, and flown to places indescribable until flight itself is assumed to be an intrinsic right and property of the body-mind. Interesting. Definitely experienced some of that. Yeah. Those flying dreams, that always feels like trying to attain that flying position and maintain that flying is always a challenge. Yeah. Is it like a rite of passage? John, I know you've talked about that before. Yeah, it's like you feel it in your belly almost. You're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like a vibration in my solar plexus, like levitation and dreams flying. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it, it's really hard to explain, but. It is a challenge though, isn't it to you? I mean, it is to me. Mm-hmm. It's like, you, you it's like will it through your solar plexus mm-hmm. and then yeah. you like can fall down and you're like, go back up. What is that? Like a video game. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah, it's this constant battle like a video game. Is that is that a coincidence, do you think, that that's where this, the hag sits on your solar plexus? Oh, I didn't think about that. I don't think it has anything to do with the hag. Well, I mean, if you have these distinct kind of powerful experiences in that state, maybe there is a connection with... Yeah, not necessarily the personification of like the hag. No, I just mean where she sits. But the fact that things seem to interact with the chest... And that's also where you leave or where you're, when you're flying in a flying dream. Yeah, I think dream. that's a powerful part of your chakras. Yeah. She's saddling your flight engine. <laughs> right. No, I, I feel like it has more to do with belief, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you have to will it, right? Yeah, you will it. It's like you start to fall when you don't believe it. You're like, oh. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's kind of how it feels to me. Well, it makes sense, John. It's like the control that you, you try to attain when you're having a lucid dream or you're aware that you're dreaming and then try to control your environment, as long as you can maintain the knowledge that you are asleep and you're dreaming, you have a bit more control. Mm-hmm. And when you start to lose that, so weird. The, the environment starts to turn into, morphs into something else until eventually it might trick you into thinking that you have in fact woken up when really you're still in that dream, but now they're back in control, whoever they are. You know, it's such an interesting idea. It's so, it's so weird because as you talk about that, that flying and levitating solar plexus feeling, I'm, I can even feel it again. And as I'm thinking about it, I'm realizing that I just had this last night or two nights ago, really? this exact feeling. Like, you know, you start to think about something and you start to pull from a dream that you had that you didn't know you had. Yeah. I can feel that exact feeling, but thinking about it, it didn't seem like a dream, obviously. It seemed like it was a real experience. So I was remembering it like a memory. Like, oh yeah, well, didn't I just do it's that? the same thing as breathing underwater in a dream. Mm-hmm. The same kind of thing. Exactly. And I think it's so crazy and so cool that so many people have that same experience, John, what you're talking about with the solar plexus area and with the trying, like, what is it? What can explain that other, that everyone's having a similar experience Why they're, when they're having these dreams? I mean, the people that do have these dreams, that they are experiencing yeah. the same sensations and the same challenge of trying to keep that, keep aloft using that sensation in your chest. Like, it's just bizarre. Yeah. It's super fascinating. I can't think of a physical reason. And it ties into, you know, dream yoga that monks do. It ties into so much of this stuff. Yeah. That's really interesting. 
I can't think of like a physical reason why the explanation that you would feel it right there in that spot. Everyone would experience that other than being like a chakra. Right. And I thought a great way to tie up the sleep paralysis conversation would be to talk about how you can get out of it or how you can prevent it. Really interesting. A lot of people have actually written into us, not that we're experts, obviously, but because we've covered this topic before, wanting to know like, what can I do? I have this experience all the time. And some people that have written in explaining what they have done to stop episode of sleep paralysis. To escape the trap. Yes. So aside from like the usual healthy living sort of things, like, you know, uh, don't drink coffee too late, try not to eat pizza every day, uh, you know, that kind of stuff, get, get regular exercise. Some of the other things you can do to prevent it, well, one is the, the tennis ball method that we talked about a little bit ago that John's going to try tonight, as he promised me he would. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you can't prevent it using those methods, you can try to break out of it. And that is usually by trying to concentrate really hard and moving in extremity, like your big toe or your ring finger or something, which can take a lot of concentration. I think that's how I got out of mine. I think because naturally you just try to scream, you try to move something. So your natural yeah. thought is like, let me try to move and get out of this. It's the kill bill method. Right, exactly. And one researcher, dream researcher and avid sleep analysis experiencer had this to say, quote, once one of the nefarious entities has materialized or made contact, what are your options? Ryan Hurd, a researcher and author who's had regular bouts of SP since his youth, recommends tamping down your fear and confronting the being in a neutral or empathetic manner, mentally asking what it wants. This may transform the, quote, autonomous other into something less threatening, he says, while adding that one can't always count on this, quote, spiritual laundromat. So it doesn't always work. Another thing that you can do, which I'm not going to get into, but I thought it was kind of an interesting topic to maybe one day explore is the idea of apotropaic magic, which is, you guys have heard of this idea before, we probably didn't know what it was called, but it's the idea of using like enchanted talismans or, or some sort of object in your waking world and keeping it in your room to protect you from an astral thing. That's what that idea is. I mean, that's obviously more of an extreme. Uh, or even like a cross from like a faith perspective. Or even a cross. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Anything like that. Something that might have power to, to protect you. But I want to wrap up the sleep analysis stuff by telling a quick tale. This comes directly from Nover, an experience that uh, was shared to him by an old college buddy. And this is called Turning the Tables. John, will you read this quick account? I was finishing this chapter. I had happened to mention to my good friend of 25 years that I was working on a book on sleep paralysis and related topics. Though I had known of Jimmy's longtime fascination with the paranormal and the occult, he suddenly came out as having experienced frequent SP and proceeded to relate a litany of bizarre and menacing attacks he'd experienced from the age of 11 onward. In addition to the garden variety old hags that pressed down on his chest, there were menacing rubbery doll-like creatures and Lovecraftian reptilians as cold as ice. Things reached a crescendo when he was in medical school and sleeping on the fly he tried various New Age methods of reasoning or engaging his tormentors, but nothing seemed to work. Finally, one night, when a gargoyle-like hag descended upon him in his paralyzed state, he managed to shift into a lucid dream. As the hag pushed down on him, he experienced a moment of clarity. Instead of trying to get away, he did the opposite, pulling her closer to the shock of the creature, he ripped into her chest, tearing out her heart and eating it. 
What? Not only did this savage shamanic exercise dispose of the hag, but the SP episodes began to subside. Physician, heal thyself, they say, but Jimmy came up with a trick they don't teach you in med school. <laughs> That's such a cool story. That's intense. I just imagine this thing on top of him and he's like, ah! I mean, I get like, you know, not being afraid. You're like confronting the fear, you know? It's like yeah. that movie It. <laughs> there it is. Once you're not afraid of the clown anymore and you eat its heart. It has no power. You go up to Tim Curry and you open up his chest and you eat his bloody heart. I mean, uh, you're right. I mean, but I know it's a running joke with the, with the show is, you know, you're referencing of it, but it's, that's, it is exactly kind of the concept here. I think you can relate everything back to that movie. I think you can. I think it's four degrees of Pennywise. Marriage, math class. <laughs> interesting. It, interesting. I like that. Beep, beep, Richie. So in closing with the sleep paralysis stuff, I wanted to talk about this. Basically, what we always talk about, John and Jeremy, Nover kind of echoes this in his book, but the idea that what we were just talking about, that there are these fear eaters, these nightmare feeders, Jeremy, as you like to say, that we talk about a lot on the show. What is the possible reality of these things potentially being real, inexplicable, supernatural phenomena and not just potential scientific, more benign explanations? So he says, quote, Consider a parallel track for understanding sleep paralysis, running alongside the neurobiological explanation. Could low-level astral entities and spirits invisibly exist all around us? These astral spirits might nourish themselves on human energy, the way dust mites in our beds happily dine on our sloughed-off skin and hair. Ew. Lois Proud writes, quote, The evidence seems to suggest that all imperfect spirits are energy vampires to some extent, and human fear in particular is a prime source for their replenishment. If SP is a kind of trance state that may last for some duration, it could well be a direct portal into the spirit realm, mm -hmm. as well as, quote, the main means by which spirits, alien beings, and maybe even UFOs are able to enter and leave our dimension. Proud proposes, adding that the impinging spirit realm and its inhabitants may have a profound influence on our lives, one much greater than we can imagine or comprehend. Comprehend. So comprehend that while we take our break. And after the break, we'll be discussing sleep murders, prophetic nightmares of talking heads, Ooh. and the very real lands and people of our dreamscapes and how to decipher them from creations of your unconscious mind. Fascinating. So stick around for that. That's what I want to know, how to decipher. And as I mentioned early on, the expansion is going to be just a deepening hole into what we've been talking about and more strange aspects, really fascinating concepts related to the dream world, the land of Nod, the things that happen when we think we're sleeping and the sorts of people even that we interact with there who what are they? We're going to talk about the microsleep black dog. Oh, yeah. Guardians at the gate, astral attacks, the connection with poltergeist activity potentially, and actual real dreamers. Yeah, it's a fascinating idea. Yes. but So definitely check out the expansion episode, guys. It's double the episodes, double the content, fully produced, beautiful sonic experiences of story. Yeah. Full length episodes. I don't know if you guys noticed, but we don't really have ads. So the only way that we monetize the show is through subscriptions. So if you want to support us, we really appreciate everybody that signs up. Really do. And it's definitely worth worth it if you guys are enjoying the main episodes. You're pretty much just getting an additional entire show, really. Yeah. And, and our love, our sloppy, happy love. 
also comes to you by way of membership. Good way to put it. Our sleep paralysis love. <laughs> we will visit you like old hags crouching on your chest <laughs> with happiness and joy. So with that, enjoy this preview of this week's expansion episode. Roll it. Access granted. And this takes place about three years ago when he and his fiance had just moved to Colorado. And he recognizes that maybe it was a stressful time and stress can play a role in sleep paralysis experiences. And that may have contributed to what happens here, but it's something he's experienced his whole life. So here's a really interesting anecdote from Oscar. I was just watching TV in the living room late at night, also looking at my phone, and the fiance was asleep in the room. Suddenly I hear her get up, get out of the room, walk out into the hall, and I thought she was going to the bathroom, but then she immediately just turns back around and goes back into the room. And as she's turning back around, I'm getting up asking if she's okay. I follow right behind her. She closes the door right in my face and I open it. She is just laying there, right in bed, asleep. And I entered the room probably not even a second behind her. And I ask if she's all right. She doesn't respond. She's just knocked out asleep. So naturally I thought that was weird. I just go back into the living room, back to looking at my phone mindlessly in the middle of the night. And I go to lay on my side and it's probably not even 10 minutes from seeing her go out of the room and I hear footsteps kind of stomping towards me. And just because I thought it was her, I put my phone down and look up to ask if she was okay. And as soon as I do, it's just this dark shadow. I am immediately paralyzed and in sleep paralysis. So I believe that whatever is connected to sleep paralysis, whether it's a sleep disorder or whatever people want to call it, I believe something used her image to make sure that my guard was let down because at this point I was just so used to sleep paralysis growing up with it and I would just not allow it to happen anymore as soon as I would hear that that sound of silence that people always hear, that static noise. But yeah, I feel like it used her so that I would just pay attention to it one more time. Welcome back. Yes. All right. You guys ready to get back into some fascinating sleep concepts? I thought you'd never ask. Let's do it. Put me to sleep, Chris. I want to dream. All right. Well, what better way <laughs> to get back into it than to talk about parasomnias? I don't know if you guys are familiar with this term. Do you have any idea? No, I'm not. Parasomnias are basically... Is it uh, acting out or behave? Sorry, oh, yeah. you have the documents so you can see. <laughs> yeah. I won't spoil it. Go ahead. He's got the documents. <laughs> But yes, parasomnies are basically conditions people have when you act something out in your sleep in the physical world. Mm. So basically, good examples of parasomnias, you know, sleepwalking, sleep, talking in your sleep. Some people have reported going on a diet and then they are not losing weight and only to be found eating Taco Bell at 4 a.m. with their eyes, you know, glazed over. <laughs> Sounds like quite a skill to perform while you're asleep. 
Well, look at ambient zombies. We'll talk about that in the expansion a little bit. Those are sometimes fun, sometimes terrifying tales. Ambient zombies? Ambient zombies. People take ambient. It says right on the bottle. Oh, yeah. You know, after 20 minutes after taking this pill, you better be in bed. That's a game the kids play. Or people who are up to no good, I say. I've heard tales of taking that. Oh, abusing Ambien? Yeah, yeah. taking Ambien and then trying to stay up as late as you can, and then you get, you get real weird. Things get real crazy. That is dangerous on many levels. Yeah, do not, I do not recommend it. I was just mentioning that I'd, I'd heard of such a thing. But yes, the natural parasomnias are the ones that I sort of described. And it can come on, obviously, from prescription drugs like that, but also from PTSD can present itself later as in a parasomnitic sort of way. Even just an intense dream, right? Might you hit your bed partner because you're asleep and dreaming of the fighting yeah. an enemy? or Like dad did? <laughs> yeah, like, like dad, dad did when he punched punch mom in the face? That's right. In the sleep? I forgot about that. Years ago after Vietnam? <laughs> I think that was the one thing that he had experienced. But that, that actually, I took that out of the document because I wasn't going to go into that, but that is actually a condition they used to call Minnesota disease. Really? Before they realized it was a, a more largely experienced phenomena, before it was recognized by the medical community. I think Minnesota, because that was patient zero. That was the first case. But it's when you have that sort of experience, you're not, you know, you, sometimes you flail at night and you kick somebody or when you have it to the degree that you're actually acting out your entire dream scenario mm -hmm. in the waking world, that is a specific condition that people really? try to get treated all the time. Interesting. Yeah. It's not super common, but um, more commonly might think. All right. I see dogs do it a lot. That's true. <laughs> Running. Jake, I, I think it does it. And in talking about parasomnias, I thought this was a really good story for our show and really interesting because it relates to the concept of premonition. So this next account that we're about to do here relates to parasomnia and how parasomnia alludes to, in my mind, a possible clue toward the dream or hypnagogic state as being a meeting ground for the living and the dead. John, will you read this one? You know it. And this is about Jan. Jan, a parasomnia patient, had been plagued by sleepwalking since childhood. During her episodes, family members characterize her as being in a zombie-like state with eyes bulging. One night, Jan's 10-year-old daughter slept in her room and woke to see her mother sitting on the edge of the bed. She had pulled up the shade and was looking out the window, which faced a cemetery across the road. Jan seemed to be talking to the graveyard residents, asking who fed them what they ate, and if they ever got lonely. It's creepy. She was having a conversation, asking a question, and then waiting like she was getting answers. Weird. One wonders if, like some mediums, she could really have been communicating with the departed. Indeed, the daughter never slept in her mom's room again. Dr. Shank, Jan's doctor and sleep researcher, found it unusual that Jan's sleepwalking episodes seemed to be associated with elaborate dreams, even though lab tests showed that her behaviors were emerging out of the non-REM cycle. This is really, it's awesome and creepy. Just yeah. that, that image of that girl standing at the window, just like... It's her mom. Asking questions and, oh, it's her mom? Yeah, the mother. Oh, okay. Jan. So she saw her mom do Yeah, it? so the daughter sees her mom basically talking to possibly dead people that's crazy you know of course could be a parasom maybe it's a semi-dream hypnagogic thing but i think it acting does, out the dream it does make you wonder that she's facing the graveyard right and i think important here which i underlined 
and then waiting like she was getting answers. So she wasn't just talking. Yeah. She was pausing as if she was getting answers from these, right. these occupants. Yeah, that brings up an interesting question when you say a dream is all imagination created by your mind, right? Mm. Does it need, if there's another character in your quote dream in this made up fiction of, that your brain does, and there's another character talking to you, your brain would obviously be coming up with that, right? So in that dream state, does that suggest that your brain responds in real time? Because it seems that she, if that were the case with this and it were just a dream, the character is given a line by the brain and then responds in real time. It's not just you thinking of what they might say in response yeah. and then responding to it. It Also, who knows like how a time even operates in dreams. We've talked before about how you, you have a whole scenario that builds up in in your dream. Right. And then in the real world, a painting falls off the wall and wakes you up. But in your dream, you were carrying a bucket full of dishes up the stairs for, you know, 20 minutes trying to find the right apartment and then you drop them all. Right. What is the time relationship there to prepare you for that sound in the real world, you know? Right. Well, that's kind of my point. If things move so quickly because you're just imagining them. Yeah. And not waiting for another character to respond. In this case, she's sitting there and waiting for responses oh, yeah. and being in the real time. That's suggesting that it's point. not just an imagined response. Yeah. It's something that has to respond back. That is interesting. That's super fascinating. I didn't think about that that way. It's all real. We proved it. <laughs> Goodbye. Good night, everybody. Pack up your stuff. Time to go home. Oh, the last little <laughs> note there, if you guys caught that, I thought was interesting was at the very end when she said that the doctor, Shank, who was uh, trying to figure out what's going on with Jan, where he said it was interesting that the episode seemed to be associated with elaborate dreams, even though lab tests showed that her behaviors were emerging out of the non-REM cycle, which just sounds a little anomalous. Oh, yeah. And is it more than just a dream, just another clue, you know? Well, it's less likely if it's not in REM, right? Right. Less likely that it would be a dream. Absolutely. We're dream scientists. <laughs> um, Podcast slash dream scientists. <laughs> what an awesome title. Dude, that's a, yeah, that's a good shirt. Belief hole. Dream scientists. <laughs> Dream scientists. I think it'd be a great profession to claim at like a singles mixer. Hi, <laughs> <Hey>, Jeremy. <laughs> Dream scientist. Dude. What can I do I, for if you? If I ever meet a girl, like... In, <laughs> she asked what you'd do for I've definitely got to remember to right? use that. It's so good because it's instantly romantic, but also smart and, yeah. and puts you in the mindset of bedtime. And then you get to tell her you made it up too, which is even better. <laughs> yeah, like later fact. on. You could like totally bullshit. And be like, yeah, I study how people in para parasomnia and like just throw out all these big words. And she's just like, that's so crazy. That's really weird. I've never heard of that. And you're like, yeah, I don't. That's a lie. Are you more of a hypnagogy or a hypnomompic? You'd have to include like a really bad joke in there, like as a pickup line, like I'm a dream scientist and without you, life's a nightmare. So, no. <laughs> so is he going to include like a, like a bad pickup line with it, you know? No. Uh -huh. Well, I mean, you could. You could, but then it sounds... Well, that was that was the joke. Yeah. I think it's funnier to not say anything and just let it like go somewhere. She's got to process it. I know. I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't actually giving that as advice. So I was just making a bad joke. I'm a dream. Yeah. If she likes you, she'll be like, oh. And then she'll probably be like, what? <laughs> but if she doesn't care, <laughs> no. she'll just keep going and probably not even register because it's such a weird thing. <laughs> We've talked about this for way too long. <laughs> or she might be like, you know, my cousin's a dream scientist. And then I get real awkward. Where did you study? Get real weird. <laughs> Cambridge? John Hopkins Sleep Labs? Oh, yeah. He's there. All right, let's get back into it, Chris. Anyways. Anyways. Let's move along. Well, speaking of your life being a nightmare without her, John, uh, this will take <laughs> us to the chapter on the nightmare realm. And I only took a, a brief thing from here because I thought it was super interesting and, again, related to things that we talk about on the show. You know, precognitive dreams telepathy, these sorts of psi abilities. 
Go ahead, Jeremy, take us away. The Talking Head. Seemingly telepathic communications have arrived in the ominous package of a nightmare. On the night of November 27, 1917, psychical researcher Dr. Walter Franklin Pierce, while living in Flushing, Long Island, dreamed that a slender young woman held out a document for him to read. Quote, warned for her execution, written in red letters. She told Dr. Pierce she was willing to die, but requested that he hold her hand while it was happening. As the scene shifted to darkness, quote, I felt her grip my hand, he recounted, and somehow became conscious that the execution was being accomplished. I then put one hand of mine on the hair of her head, which I found was loose and severed from her body, and felt moisture, which I was convinced was blood. Then the fingers of my other hand were caught in her teeth, and the mouth opened several times and closed again. And I was filled with the horror at the thought of a severed but living head. That's really weird. That's not disturbing. No. The next morning, he reported the dream to a staff member at the Society for Psychical Research, who later corroborated the timeline. Subsequent newspaper accounts detailed how on November 27th, a mentally disturbed woman named Sarah A. Hand wandered from her home in Manhattan and later that night deliberately placed her head in front of the wheels of a train, stopped at a railroad track in Hollis, Long Island. When the train started, she was decapitated. A letter she wrote, found at the site, stated, quote, My head is alive and can see and talk, and I must get it to prove my case to the law. No one believed me, when I said I would never die, and when my head was chopped off, I would still be alive. Pierce later spoke to Sarah Han's mother and learned that her daughter's appearance matched that of the woman in his nightmare. Many of the circumstances between his dream and the horrific event seemed to line up. Perhaps the most remarkable was the emphasis on her hand connecting with her last name and how the bizarre assertion that her severed head could live independently was in a way realized in Pierce's experience. Was the consciousness of Sarah Hand somehow able to intersect with Dr. Pierce during her demise? Or did his dream state foster a precognitive depiction of an event he would soon read about in the newspaper? In either case, he said, quote, the awful vividness of the dream haunted my consciousness for days and is today as real as most of memories of actual events. Ugh, pretty crazy, right? That's really bizarre. I know it's a disturbing account, but I, I thought it was a really exceptional account because of the precognitive experience in it. Well, yeah. You know, the, I mean, this is, so we've talked about a lot. We've all had somewhat of precognitive dreams, it seemed like, where we dreamt of something that happened the, the following day that was almost unbelievable that something that particular could have occurred. Right. You know? So I won't get into those could, right could now. Could she, again, is but, it possible? This is out there. I mean, all these ideas are out there, but. Is it possible that his dreaming of her severed head, if it was her severed head he was dreaming of, if the dreaming of this separate, distinct head individualized from the body, if that created a sense in her that her head could live independently. So his dreaming of her basically made her psychotic with this idea, if that makes sense. That's a weird idea. So that it was actually the reverse where his dream was affecting her waking thoughts yeah and led to her being drawn to do this well i think what would stop that idea from being true i think is the idea that she had written a letter before this 
So assuming she hadn't written that letter and then immediately gone to, you know, lay down on the train track, then, yeah, then I would imagine it would be probably not that his dream was influencing her thoughts. Okay, that probably makes sense. Oh, the other thing was interesting, obviously, was that, as he mentioned, the focus on the hand and her name happened to be Hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, just interesting. And this takes us to my favorite portion of today's episode that I've been really excited to talk about, lucid dreaming and the potential reality of other characters within our dream spaces being fully aware conscious entities. Dreams are real. Other things too, but that's kind of what I've been really excited to start talking about. Yeah, because we've all experienced that. Yeah. Real dream people. We've all had lucid dreams. Anybody have any favorite moments they remember from a lucid dream? I have one, but I mean, I could go on and on. I don't have a lot of lucid ones. No, not... I like kind of know I'm dreaming, but it's not like fully lucid, you know? Yeah, it's been pretty rare. Where I like could control the dream. I've had... Um, I always get tricked. When I have a lucid dream, then I wake up. Yeah. And I'm, then I continue on doing whatever I'm doing, but then I find out I'm dreaming again when I wake up for real. Mm-hmm. That's how your brain tricks you when you start to have a lucid dream. Yeah, there's actually a really good account that I actually took out of the outline because I was worried about time, but... To summarize it quickly, basically, there's a, a sleep study guy who was a longtime lucid dreamer and had actually been practicing lucid dreaming, which you can do. Basically, he, he does this so many times over and over again where he's having these false awakenings where his brain keeps tricking him or whatever is tricking him over and over again. That eventually, this one night, he said, When I get out of the hallway into my hallway again, whatever reality presents itself, I'm just going to consider to be real because I can't keep going through this experience, the terror of like mm. thinking. You know, and then he, after he finally woke up, after I think seven or eight iterations of this, he gave up the practice of lucid dreaming because he was so terrified of getting back into that. Like driving him insane. Yeah, that en- never-ending that loop. Loop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes creepy. you just want to be asleep. Yeah, and we won't get through all the lucid stuff I want to talk about in this episode. There's some other really fascinating lucid dreaming things to discuss that I'll be doing in the expansion, involving some real-world events that occurred that I won't get into here, but uh, really, really bizarre. But so for this portion of the, of the lucid dreaming, let's start with the curious world of dream characters. This is what I've been really excited to talk about. So this again comes from Dover's book, Nightmare Land, Travels at the Borders of Sleep, Dreams and Wakefulness. Check it out. Link in the show notes. An unpredictable bunch, characters in the lucid dreamscape run the gamut from malleable mental images to insightful, independent beings. And that's kind of the underscore here. Quote, Differentiating between the types of dream figures requires considerable skill, writes Wagner, since characters of diverging mental status may have similar appearances. Quote, To get a more accurate reading of the varieties of dream figures, he explained, lucid dreamers have discovered that they must literally interact with them through conversations, questions, or suggestions. And he goes on to say, the guy that he's discussing here, Wagner, one of the things that he was doing in his lucid dream experiences is he would be having romantic involvement with a lady. And he would try this thing where he would say, all thought forms must now disappear. And then the woman who was in coitus with him would (laughs) vanish. And then a new one would supplant that lover and continue the role of lovemaking. And he did this over and over again. And eventually it would get to the point where he started to have this thought and they would disappear before he could finish it. The thought being vanish all thought forms? Yeah, if you're a thought form, basically. If you're not, you know, a real aware thing that I'm making love with, if you're just a, 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 a creation of my own mind, disappear. And he was able to get this to happen over and over again. And Nover goes on. Wagner retested this thought form hypothesis, subsequently issuing his, quote, 
must vanish proclamation in other lucid dreams. The results were intriguing. Quote, I recall once making the announcement to two groups of about four dream figures. One group suddenly disappeared, while the other group looked at me with something close to utter disdain, as if to say, can't you tell the difference? And continued with their project. <laughs> I love that idea. That's interesting to me. Like they were offended. Yeah. There was the way that you could kind of potentially tell between these a real consciousness in your dream and something other, something created. The minister and dream educator, Jeremy Taylor, shared an account of a young man named Dan who dreamed he was at a party in a swanky penthouse. As live jazz music played and the city sparkled below, a pretty woman sat on his lap. Suddenly, he realizes that he's dreaming, that his physical body is asleep in a cheap rented room in Chicago. At this moment in the dream, the woman asks if he's having a good time. He laughs and replies that he is having a great time, but that he will have to leave soon. His alarm is about to go off and wake him up. My alarm's about to wake me up. The woman asks him in surprise what he means. What do you mean? And he replies that all of this is a dream and none of it's real. This is just a dream. You mean you think I'm not real? The woman asks in some annoyance. That's right. He replies. With this, the woman becomes even more annoyed. I'll show you who's real or not. She says and crushes her lit cigarette out on the back of the dreamer's right hand. Instantaneously, the young man awakens in the rented room with a terrible pain in his right hand. He turns on a light and sees a round burn the size of a cigarette on the back of his right hand. He peers in amazement and sees what appears to be cigarette ashes clinging to the skin around the wound. While there may be other explanations for how he wound up with the wound, the dream certainly depicts an independently minded character. Hell hath no fury, like a lucidly dreamed woman scorned. Mm, interesting. Isn't that interesting? That's a good one. Yeah. Reminds me so much of like the only way to kill Freddy is to pull him out of the dream with you. Oh yeah. When you wake up. Remember that? Make him mortal. Right. That's kind of that idea in that film series. It does it does make you wonder. I mean, it's it's a pretty incredible account that this person delivered, but Yeah, it's just interesting how the woman was like upset about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those are, I think, the really intriguing stories. Yeah, it's like every holodeck episode you've seen on Star Trek. <laughs> All right. Especially you, John. So you're a big fan. Yeah. But that, that same concept comes up a lot, you know, like the created character not wanting to believe or not believing that they're not real. Yeah. And it becomes like the plot point of the episode. Because it is such a great huh. idea, a great question about. Yeah. Of course, that's that would be AI. Yeah, you interact with a sim or something, you know, simulated reality and the character is becoming conscious. All of your sims in my world. Exactly. <laughs> Even everyone listening right now. We're all NPCs to John's true player. <laughs> NPCs to you John's just true players. <laughs> Subscribe awesome. to the expansion, you simulations. Simulations, it's time to sign up for expansion. Do what I wilt. Do what thou wilt. No, that's not the right Do thing. what John wilt. Or do what John wilts you to do. It shall be the whole of his law. <laughs> Oh, anyway. Yeah, I thought that was a really cool account. Yeah, interesting. And again, it, it brings up the idea of the, the mutual dream space, like with other dreamers, potentially. Yeah. Another interesting idea. So maybe not even something that is, that lives in, because we talk about that too, the idea of something living in the astral realm or that, that merges with the dream realm. But what about other dreamers that exist in our reality today? Like, you know, your friend down the street who's having a dream, can he interact with you? That's something we're definitely going to get into in the expansion even more, but a little bit here. So for now, I wanted to just bring this up here. Nover goes on to say, 
The idea that two or more physical people could be sharing a mutual dream space is fascinating, if not borne out yet in sleep lab testing. Both Kellogg and Wagner, two sleep scientists, describe lucid dream encounters with people whom they believe to be non-lucid dreamers. Then this would be people who aren't aware they're dreaming, right? They're, they're talking about running into. This is an interesting description. They tend to behave as if they're semi-drunk, moving disjointedly and with little focus. Those who are partially lucid are a bit more responsive. Flipping the equation around, Wagner describes a time he became lucid when he was with a group of people on a neighborhood street. Quote, Then I noticed everyone was waiting for me to become lucid. In particular, there are three dream figures. And as they recognize that I am lucid, they appear very pleased that I have made the mental shift. We all hug and perform a spontaneous chant like a team. <laughs> Weird. It's a cool concept, though. <laughs> the question, of course, has how does he know that they're lucid and they're not just dreams figures? Well, he said that's when he became lucid, it seemed like they were, you know, whether they were real or not, it was like they were waiting for him to become lucid. Right. Right. They were like Neo's friends in the Matrix. It's an interesting idea of like, what if the dream worlds that we visit are populated by just other people like us dreaming, but we just aren't aware that they are also dreaming. Right. And because maybe they're not having a lucid dream or you're not having a lucid dream. It's like the metaverse. Yeah. A dream. (laughs) Exactly. But yeah, if you guys are interested in the aspect of lucid dreaming and the, the types of experiences one has not only with other realms and conscious beings, but also the awareness that you're in a lucid dream and the sort of exploration that you might be able to do uh, even in parallel realities with that knowledge. Sign up for the expansion because we're going to get deeper into that in the expansion. Yes! But I wanted to wrap up this episode with a fascinating tale of sleepwalk murder. Because I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but around 70 murders worldwide have been blamed on sleepwalkers. I don't know if you knew that. So really? But you know it now. This year? Yeah, I knew that. John knew it. He's the real being. We're the NPCs. (laughs) I made it. (laughs) Seems like a surprising amount. Yes, definitely. Definitely. But I guess not so surprising. If you read this book, you really start to realize all the crazy things that people experience in the sleep state or that perform in sleep states. A lot of that could be just claiming the sleep defense, right? Oh, for sure. But I think what makes this account really cool is that the person admits... Well, you'll see. I won't get into it without telling it. Let's read it. In the summer of 1887, Chief Inspector Robert Ledru was one of Paris's top crime busters. He'd just come off a string of successes, including apprehending killers, breaking up a black magic cult, and rounding up members of an organization that plotted to overthrow the French government. Loaned out to the police department of the port town of Louavre, he was tasked with solving the mysterious disappearance of some sailors in the area. Exhausted upon his arrival, he went to bed early at his hotel, his trusty German pistol tucked under his pillow. When he awoke in the morning, he noticed that his socks were damp. That's odd. Upon reporting to the local police station, he discovered that the case of the missing sailors had been set aside for a perplexing murder that had occurred during the night. Could the celebrated detective help them find the killer? The victim, a Parisian merchant named André Monet, was found at dawn on the beach. A single fatal bullet shot at near point-blank range had pierced his chest. There appeared to be no motive or suspect. Ledru investigated the site where the body was found, across from the English Channel, and discovered a set of misshapen footprints. Quote, They look familiar to me, he declared. 
he ordered a set of plaster casts to be promptly made. Instead of interviewing people on the beach who might have seen something, he stared transfixed at the casts for some time. Then he announced to the local gendarmerie, The case is solved. I know the identity of the killer. Who was it? Ledru holed up in his hotel room for the night. The next morning, he paid a visit to Luavra's chief of police. By then, they had recovered the bullet that killed Monet. Ledru asked to see it and quickly compared it to an unfired one in the cartridge of his own gun. Just as he thought. I am the man who shot Monsieur Monet to death. He informed the startled chief, who couldn't believe what he was hearing. He must have killed the tourist while he stumbled upon him while in a somnambulant trance, Ledru explained. Needing to inform his superiors, he rushed off on the next train to Paris, armed with the plaster cast and fatal bullet. His boss was incredulous, but then Ledru reminded him of how he had lost his right big toe in a gun accident. The missing toe matched the plaster cast of the footprint on the beach. Further, he'd kept the damp socks unwashed and they had grains of sand in them. Still unconvinced, Ledru's superiors agreed to lock him up and keep him under close watch. As an experiment, they gave him a pistol, that seems like a dumb idea, loaded it with blanks, okay, which he stashed under his pillow. After sleeping soundly for three nights, on the fourth night, he arose in his sleep around midnight and pulled out the gun, firing at close range on one of the guards. This was what the authorities needed to believe Ledru's tale. He was sent to live in seclusion on a countryside farm where he was watched by guards and medical personnel for a whopping 50 years until his death in 1937. Wow. That's intense. Pretty crazy though, right? I mean, I think what makes the story so incredible, one of the, one of the things is the fact that he, you know, copped up to it. He was the one to discern the perpetrator's identity and it was himself. And he's like, it was me. Here are the reasons why. Because he recognized his toeless footprint. Yeah. I mean, it's obvious how this happened. What was he famous for? Breaking up a black magic cult. Oh, maybe he was cursed. Maybe. Yeah. There was some black magic afoot. Well, it's interesting you say that. Pun unintended. It's interesting. Yeah, that's good. It's interesting you say that because in the expansion, we're going to talk about attacks by people practicing black magic or practicing some more negative shamanic processes that allow for dream attacks. So I didn't, I didn't think about that when oh, interesting. reviewing this story, but I mean, that's kind of an interesting concept, that interesting tie in there. I didn't catch that. I'm a pretty deep thinker. You're pretty observant. You could be a detective. Ledru. I could be. Although I don't know if I'd incriminate myself with my toeless footprint. Yeah. I mean, that's a, I mean, that's a good question to ask at a party, you know? He was honest. I mean. And put yourself in this situation. Would you admit to the guilt? Would you admit to the murder? Exactly. That's a good moral question for everyone out there. That is, because you could obviously say, well, I was asleep, you know, so maybe rationalize like not telling anybody that, it, that you realized it was you. Right. Because there are people who have, have claimed self-defense because of sleepwalking, right. right? And have won. And how do you prove it? That's the thing. Yeah. And uh, Nova brought up a good point in here, a good question. You know, like we've all had these dreams where we've, we've committed terrible acts, murders sometimes, really dark things. Mm -hmm. Why is this? Is it possible that there could be like uh, an explanation where you've, it's a past life memory, things like that? But whatever it is, whatever the cause, imagine waking up to discover that it was real, that you had murdered someone in your sleep. 
And then imagine trying to have yeah. to convince people that that's what actually happened. Yeah, I can't imagine. Especially if you'd never had a sleep murder episode before, you know, that would be horrifying. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fascinating stuff, Chris. Yeah, I thought so. Definitely check out this book, guys, Nightmare Land. Uh, I've been wanting to do it for a while. I'm really glad I finally dove deep into it. And I'm sure there's so many aspects to sleep, dreams, and unexplained entities that I'm sure we'll touch on later using this book. And also definitely the expansion. We get into some really fun stuff. So check out that. But yeah, check out the book. We'll have links in the show notes or go to our webpage and check out the latest episode. Nightmare Land Travels at the Borders of Sleep, Dreams, and Wakefulness by Lex Lonehoodnover. Yeah. Any final thoughts? Awesome. Red Rover, Red Rover, let Nover come over. Nice. And he has. <laughs> I hope he enjoyed his time here in our come over from the dream world. He's sitting on that all day. <laughs> Glad that you finally released it. He's sitting on that all day. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Any final thoughts about dreams and whatever? Oh, yeah. Fascinating stuff. Yeah, I, th I do think there's a reality to dreams. That's my personal opinion. Yeah, I think it's a mixed bag. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think dreams are one of those things that there's more mysteries than all the grains of sand <laughs> in the ocean on all the beaches of the world there you go that sounded like you got right that time there's just no there's a lot i was close there's just a lot of potential in what they are and what they mean and mm -hmm. yeah who you're actually connecting with which ones are real and which ones are just subconscious playings out yes of your mind exactly which i do think that's definitely a part of them oh for sure yeah. Yeah. The uh, concept of, uh, I thought this was really interesting. They were going to get more into the expansion, but there's the idea of poltergeist activity in our world potentially being the actions. Well, here I wrote it out like this. It poses this question. Can even some poltergeist activity be in actuality expressions of the will of other dreamers actuating their intention in our reality through some form of unintentional astral or spiritual projection. In other words, someone having a dream can be coming into our world and knocking your plant off your shelf while acting out a dream. Yeah. And we see it as a poltergeist or a spirit, but sometimes it's possible that they're just somehow overlapping into our reality. Yeah, that would be more of like probably random Mm -hmm. events not yeah. like a haunting right you know, like a poltergeist yeah. exactly more of those rare unexplained things that don't really line up with any other kind of ominous haunting or anything i can definitely see that it being a potential phenomenon it kind of makes sense we talk about you know a house that's no reason for it to be haunted or you know there's a one-off thing that happens like that cup that flew out me mom and dad's like our, yeah, our things house. like that where it's like something sudden and out of nowhere like could it have been a passerby that was having a lucid dream and then somehow was right. acting it out in our in our world. Just an interesting idea. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about that too, because there's a really good story in the expansion among many other things. So make sure you check it out. Awesome. I did want to mention guys, Chris and I were able to attend an episode on another show oh, yeah. called Campfire, Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. Really good show. Our friend Jordan over there, go check this episode out. It's called Strange Semantics. Be a really, really interesting topic about terms you use in the paranormal field and the language that's used. Is it important? Why is it important? Do people take it too seriously? So it's a really interesting topic. You guys check it out. We'll put it, the link in the show notes. Go check it out and click like and subscribe to Campfire, Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. All right. And with that, we have some people to thank. Yes, we do. All right. I'm going to start off with some OG upgrades. Thank you to Archie Clayton. Archie! What's up, brother? What up, Arch? Thank you to... Giant Smith. Yes. Oh, yeah. 
OG upgrading capital yes. of something. Is this Cheyenne, Wyoming? Dogman Whispers. Welcome to be here, Christina Miner. Yes! Not a major. <laughs> She's a major in our book. All right, and also welcome <laughs> okay. again to the whole Darren Dupree. Dupra. Oh, yeah. Welcome, Darren. Dupree welcome me in, up. Our, our friend. Dupree me up. <laughs> All right, welcome in Samantha Edwards. Samantha Edwards, welcome to be here. Yes. Thank you. Yes. All right. <laughs> welcome in Angela Bits. Yes. Bits of information coming at you. Ooh. Angela Bits. What's up, Angie? All right. Welcome William Riley. Yes. William Riley, give us a smiley. Because <laughs> you make us happy. Riley me up, sir. You're riling me up. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the whole clay miner. Yes. Ooh, that must be related Ooh. to Christina, perhaps. Putty in the hand. My detective skills do declare. Putty in the hand. Excellent. <laughs> Clay? Yes. Oh. <laughs> All right, welcome into the hole. Hunter Growl. Growl. Hunter Growl, hello, sir. Yes. Welcome. Growl? Hunter Growl. G-R-A-U. Growl. Hunter, I, think, I think it's Growl. Sounds French. Either way, it's great. All right, welcome in the hole. Ian Size. Like, ooh, supersized in my book. Ooh, size does matter, apparently. It does here in the hole. <laughs> Welcome, friend. Not how it sounds. Welcome, Jolene A. Barnes. Yes. Ooh, Jolene. Yes. Looking to be here. Yes. Jolene me up, Scotty. They're <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Welcome into the hole, Quentin T. Sheldon. Yes. Quentin, sir. You have two first names in your name. That's true. Good observation. <laughs> All right, welcome into the whole Joshua Townsend. Joshua Townsend, welcome to be here, my yes, friend. Yes. Come on in. Yes. The water's warm. Wait, what? Yes. All right, welcome to the whole Matt Morrison. Yes. Yes. Oh, hello, Matthew. Welcome to be here. Close name to a high school person. What is a high school person? <laughs> okay, well, I'll see what we make out of that one. <laughs> we love you. Welcome in. Welcome into the whole Alicia M. Kinnaman. Welcome, Alicia. You're as sweet as cinnamon, Alicia Kinnaman. Mm, yes. Yes. Welcome in Brandon Hutchinson. Brandon. <laughs> Brandon. What about Brandon? <laughs> He's a mandan. We're happy to have. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. There Let's you go. go, Brandon. <laughs> Jason Simbro, welcome into the hole. Yes. Jason Simbro. He's our bro. Yes. I got nothing. Ooh, is that... Is that Simba's nope. cousin? Oh, gosh. No, this is the, the worst. worst thing I've ever heard in my oh life. Oh, my gosh. Worst <laughs> you might have to cut reference. That. <laughs> <laughs> that Simba's cousin? That doesn't make any sense. Welcome into the whole Seth Vanagarin. Welcome <laughs> in, Seth. Welcome, Seth Vanagarin. I like it. Welcome to be here. Appreciate your patronage. All right. Welcome into the whole Jacob R. Kid with two Ds yes. for double the fun. Jacob. Jacob the kid. Like a little child, he comes wandering into the hole. <laughs> Eyes wide open and heart full of love and joy. Yes. And we are happy to see him. Welcome into the hole, Kimberly Harris. Welcome to be here. Excellent. Yes. Kimberly Harris, a dogman whisperer. Nonetheless. Nice. All right. Welcome to the hole, Vanessa Eads. Yes. Yes. Eads? Yes. Eads. Yes. 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 How do you spell it? Yes. E-A-D-E-S. E-A-D-E-S. Could it be, could it be Edes? Edes. Vanessa Edes. Vanessa Edes, welcome in. Do not eat us, Vanessa Edes. Awesome. <laughs> Do not eat us, Vanessa. Vanessa Edes. No. Welcome to have you. It's more you. fun that way. Welcome to be here. Welcome to have you. <laughs> We're so grateful of your page. Seriously, though, thank you very much. All right, welcome in Aaron Dart. 
That was an that easy one. In the heart. A dart in the heart. Yes. Bullseye in the hole. Yes. All right, Megan Buckley. You know where to put your time and money. Welcome into the hole. I don't know what that was. Yes. Welcome into the hole, <laughs> Megan. Excellent. That was weird, Chris. Yes. Was weird. <laughs> Thank you so much, Megan. Buckley of the seatbelts. Buckley of the seatbelts. I'm not good at this. Welcome into the hole, Jordan Smith. Yes, 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 yes. Jordan what Smith. A boring name. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> no, you weren't. That's a great name, Jordan. We love you. Thank you to coming here. Thank you to coming here. Yes, thank you. I don't like that one. Thank you to thank you to have thank you to have thank you me here. To have you? Thank me to have you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so many strokes on this episode. Alright, and finally, our last thank you for this night, but there will be more because we have more on the list. But thank you. In conclusion. <laughs> thank me to have you sounds like you're having a stroke. Michael Quinn! Yes. Michael yes. Quinn! Yes. And Dogman yes. Whisper yes. at the door. Yes. Welcome. So good to have you, sir. Yes. So good to have you and all of you amazing, amazing supporters and members of the show. Yes. Thank you to everybody. And there are plenty we have not had time to mention yet, but you will be read eventually. And thank you to everyone that's listened this far. Yes. Join us in the expansion, won't you? Yes. We truly do appreciate it. And as John mentioned earlier, it is the only way we're making any money right now and keeping the whole alive. So thank you to everyone. Seriously. Couldn't do it without you guys. Yeah. Yeah. We really, really do appreciate you, all of you. So thank you so much. We give it our all for each and every show. That's right. We bleed for you. Our brains bleed for you. I hope you're happy. My eyes sweat. My <laughs> eyes sweat for you. That is weird. As I edit on the computer screen. That's true. Sweat and blood. And tears and fun. We have very little sleep, so the Hatman enters frequently. <laughs> we we get haunted by the Hatman for you. It makes a, a nest makes a nest in our heart hole. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to talk about that experience sometime. All right, guys. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks again, guys. Tune into the expansion, and if you don't know how to do that, go to Beliefful.com and click on the bigger expansion button, or just use the link that's simply placed in the show notes for you. Yeah, and speaking of members and the membership and the expansion, all of you expansion members out there who are using our expansion site, do not forget or discover yourself that you can use your phone. The best and easiest way to listen to the expansion is by downloading and streaming the episodes via your favorite podcast app. If you guys aren't listening on headphones, though, you're missing out. Or bigger speakers. Yeah, because it's quality. It's like a movie. It really is. If you can listen on at least headphones, it makes a big difference. Yeah, for sure. But point being, the worst way to listen is on the website, because if you change browser pages or whatever, it drops out. So you should have a private RSS feed. If you don't know what that is or you haven't seen it, just, just email us and we'll get it to you. It's the best way to listen. Yeah. So don't jump the ship. Don't leave. All righty. All right, guys. We'll see you next time on... on- Beliefful. Cool. Not unlike the practice of autoerotic asphys... 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 asphys, asphys. <laughs> hard one. Asphyxiation. Asphyxiation. Ooh. Autoerotic asphyxiation. <laughs> Autoerotic asphyxiation. There you go. Almost as fun to say as it is to do. Quote. They look familiar to me. <laughs> I was not expecting that. Excellent. That's good though. Oh, that sounds more Austrian than French. Yeah, it says like German. I'm trying to. They look more familiar to me. What? <laughs> no. They look more familiar. Is it they? 
Say look familiar to me. Oh, not in yeah, French. That would be like, <laughs> that's definitely more. It's like a Nazi general. Say look familiar to me. What does French sound like? Je l'ai beaucoup toi. Chocolat bleu. I'm sorry, all French listeners. <laughs> all right, I'm just gonna do it in regular voice. Okay. They look familiar to me. He declared. He ordered a set of platter platter cats. Platter cats. Platter cats. <laughs> what are you serving tonight? Oh, platter cats as usual. He ordered a set of platter. <laughs> Three cats. platter cats, please, at the table here. <laughs> platter cats. What are those? He ordered a set of plaster casts to be. Pr- <laughs> please just say platter cats. He ordered a set. He ordered a set of platter cats. Just leave it. People will be writing in. What is? What does that mean? Platter cats. I don't <laughs> get that part of the story. <laughs> I want a shirt. Of like those old cartoon cats that are on a platter, three of them, and then it just says platter cats. Old cartoon cats, like old Disney cats, like yeah, I like that. Let's make it happen. But they're on a platter, and then it just says platter cats. Are you listening, Derek? People are like platter cats. <laughs> I gotta know what that is. And you're like, yeah, that's what those are called. Those are platter cats. Then he announced, quote. Oh, John, that's you. The case is solved. I know the identity of the killer. Who was it? (laughs) (laughs) I know the identity of my killer. Who? (laughs) All right. All right, well, what better way to get back into it than to talk about parasomnias? I don't know if you guys are familiar with this term. Parasomnies are basically like <laughs> sleepwalking, sleep talking. Oh, sorry, your your spelling is so funny. What did I spell? <laughs> like, I mean, you spell a lot of things wrong. What are you looking at? I mean, at? you're not the greatest speller. You're a great wordsmith, but you are. I don't think I'm spelling anything here. Parasomnias. Parasomnias. Every every like eighth word is misspelled. Well, All those little squiggly lines underneath mean that. Well, that one I changed. But what other what other ones are there? Behaviors. Where's that? Hypnagogue? Well, hypnagogue, probably right. Hey, John, you don't even know how to spell big words to be able to use them and understand them, and that's all that matters. You've proven that to be very true. <laughs> you should run them for that next gubernatorial race. That's a good word, even though you can't spell it. I ain't no speller. But I'm a great teller of tales. <laughs>